So, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We are continuing our discussions, detailed discussions, lots of detail here, on the Satsandarvas of Srila Jiva Goswami. We are now about halfway through the Tattvasandarva. And we've dealt extensively over the last month with radical non-dualism, the Advaita Vod theories. Now we've come to that place in the Tattva Zandarbha where Jiva Goswami is going to put the put that to rest and continue with his discussion of the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva, which is what prompted him to enter into this discussion of radical non-dualism. So he first, he said the basis upon which one should evaluate the message of the Srimad Bhagavatam is the revelation of the author, Srila Vyasudeva. And he specifically quoted four verses which basically outlined the Sambandha, Abhide, and Prayojan, which Srila Vyasudeva uh, realized in Samadhi. So he, we know the circumstance. After compiling all the literatures for the unfortunate humanity that would have to uh, be encumbered by all of the shortcomings of the age of Kali, compiling all those literatures all of the Vedas all of the Puranas all of the Upanishads the Mahabharata other Itihasas still after all that work although he was trying to present a remedy to what he knew would be the unfortunate condition of humanity in Kali Yuga after all that work and compilation and writing it down because that was not the system uh, before before men had fine enough intelligence that hearing a matter once they could remember it so he wrote it all down and still he was discontent I don't feel there's something something's not right here so he approached his spiritual master and he he expressed his uh, heart to him, uh, saying, I've done this this task, but still, uh, it, it just, I, I don't think my work is done. I think there's more to be offered. And his spiritual master, Narada Muni, said, okay, well, let's, uh, let's take a look at what's there and uh, perhaps it, perhaps it's because 
if we look at the whole copus of all the literatures of the Vedas and the Upanishads, the Puranas, the Mahabharata, we have to look at what is the true essence. I suggest that you contemplate this seriously and I'm sure the truth will reveal itself. So Srila Vyasadev entered into Samadhi. He had that tool at his disposal and he was able to, in his Samadhi, perceive the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He was able to perceive all of his intrinsic energies, all of his internal potencies. And he was also able to perceive all of his external potencies. And he was able to perceive the the jivas, the living entities. And he was also able, in that revelation of samadhi, to comprehend the appropriate remedy to his discontent and that remedy of course corresponded with what he desired to give humanity which was a full and complete solution through Shastra of the material predicament not just all of the remedial measures that are actually presented in the Veda. So many remedial measures, but he saw the complete solution, which was a complete turning of consciousness to the Supreme Personality. So that was his revelation. Jiva Goswami, uh, in the second half of the Tattvatsandarbha, this is where he begins. In the first half, he established body on any any doubt that of all those transcendental literatures, Subda Brahman, Apurusheya, coming from the from the lips of the Supreme, perfect transcendental sound, of all those literatures, Srimad Bhagavatam is the topmost. He establishes this in the first half. And then he then in the second half he immediately says, so if we're to look at the Srimad Bhagavatam, we see throughout the whole literature proper indications of Sambandha, the nature of relationships, the nature of the different energies of the Supreme, the material nature, all of the interaction. Uh, Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan is throughout the whole Bhagavatam. But if we're going to look to the Bhagavatam for, for the most comprehensive, the core element of the Bhagavatam itself, what Jiva Goswami says is that is to be found in the revelation, this samadhi of Vyasudeva. This is the core, from this central hub of Vyasudeva's Samadhi, the whole Bhagavatam and the full comprehension of it and what its gift is should be perceived. And then he goes on to also highlight Sukadev's attraction to the Bhagavatam, the perfect Jiva Mukta, 
he was liberated completely. There was not a he had not a material care in the world, walking naked and throughout humanity. No cares. No, no concerns for fam. Walked away from his family. Walked away from all the, all of the normal, ritual, ritualistic and religious underpinnings that hold the fabric of human society together. Walked away from it. Had no interest. But despite his complete detachment, and despite his complete absorption in spiritual transcendence in Brahman, in complete self-satisfaction, self meaning his spiritual self, despite that, in hearing the message of the Bhagavatam, he was attracted. There was something more there than what he had already come to perceive as perfect spiritual being. So the second half, the Tattvasandarbha, Jiva Goswami, he points to the Samadhi of Vyasadeva and the attracting of the consciousness of Sukadeva Goswami by the message of the Bhagavatam, the Leela of the Bhagavatam, the aesthetic rapture of the Bhagavatam, the beauty, the sweetness of that Supreme Personality that attracted him. So he points to this. He sees in those four verses that Vyasadeva Sumati gave him understanding of Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality, his internal, his extrinsic and intrinsic energies, Maya, that energy of his that attracts the jivas within the material realm. He saw the jivas and he saw the solution. And he saw in that revelation of samadhi the distinction between the supreme Brahman and the jivatma. And although he had Jiva Goswami told his audience at the end of the first half of the Tattvasandarva, I don't need to deal with Brahman because it's included in Bhagavan. It's all in, he's all inclusive of all of his potencies. Still, we find at the beginning of the second half, he wants to make sure that this radical non-dualism of Sankaracharya is pointed out as not representative of the Samadhi of Srila Vyasadeva. So eight Anuchedas, eight sections in the beginning of the second half of the Tatsvan Sandarva deal with everything that's wrong with this radical non-dualism. And we've covered that. And we're going to move forward because now he goes forward and he says, what really is the substance of the revelation? So we're going to finish up by chanting this verse together, which is, what is the proper understanding of the distinction between that supreme personality and the jiva? Because we've heard a lot. I think it's just a clearing of that those conceptions. Because this is what 
the Gita Upanishad has to say about the distinction between Brahman and Ishvara and Jivatma. And there's nothing here about Pratibhimba and Paricheda, which are the two ways that the Advaitins look. We can chant responsibly. Mamai Vamso Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana Manasastan Indriani Prakriti Stani Karsati The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal fragmental parts. Due, con- due to conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. So there's nothing here about there being an equality, a perceived equality, in any way between the Jivatma and the Ishwara. So I'm not going to explain any of that tonight, because you've heard it again and again. Anucheda. 41. This is the very last verse of the 8. Read the English translation. So this ends up the radical non-dualistic section. Jiva Goswami's summary of the whole matter. Srila Vyasadeva's direct experience does not support absolute non-distinction. His revelation does not support it. End of story. And this finishes it up. This is the English translation of the Anucheda. Furthermore, if the absolute oneness of the Jiva with Brahman were the actual purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, if this whole concept of cleavage and reflection of Brahman into a material energy which came from where? I mean, Jiva Goswami has in every way logically and scripturally defeated this whole radical, non-dualistic spiritual conception that Sankaracharya presented. He's defeated it. If the absolute oneness of the Jiva with Brahman were the actual purport of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami would have reported that what Srila Vyasudeva witnessed in the state of samadhi was how the one Brahman becomes divided due to ignorance. If this was so important, if what Sankaracharya presented was so important, Sudha Goswami would have said that's what Srila Vyasudeva experienced. And how knowledge dispels the suffering caused by this duality. And if Bhagavan's divine play and qualities were unreal, it would contradict what Sri Sukadev experienced in his heart. We're done with this discussion now. We've dealt with it every which way. It doesn't make sense logically. It does not make sense scripturally. How are we to understand what... Sankaracharya was up to because it's not that these Advaita Bhaktas it's not that they don't read and 
derive their conclusions from the same exact Veda that we study as Vaishnavs. How do we reconcile it? So that's what we're going to go into now. How this is reconciled properly. How to see what's going on. First of all, understand that the primary, not only do the Advaitins use scripture to support their position, but they also have their logical approach to that scripture. But logic by itself cannot self-evidently disclose the absolute truth. Jeeva's already touched on this in the first half. The final authority is also always self-authoritative scripture, Sabda Brahman. So of the two, one, one is the is the most conclusive. Our logical approach to theistic ideas can only take us so far. And whenever there's a point where we butt up against, well, that just doesn't logically make sense, and where we see the two may be at odds, Subdabrahman, Shastra always takes precedent. The Vedas are infallible. Our logic, that might be questionable at times. Vyasadeva did not experience any of what Sankaracharya puts forth as spiritual revelation. His revelation is based on particular parts of the Vedas. So Jiva's going to go forward and he's going to say, this is the way those parts should have been seen. Not in the interpretative fashion that Sankaracharya employed. This Anucheta basically speaks for itself. There's a little to be noted in the commentary. And understand these commentaries are coming primarily from Jiva Goswami himself. Jiva commented on the first four Sandarbhas and the four first four Sandarbhas deal with Sambandha. Sukadev's attraction to aesthetic value of Leela shows the significance of the Bhagavan conception over the Brahman conception, which he had already had experience of. Thus we, have con- we may conclude that the, the keys of the doctrine of radical non-dualism, Prachetabhad and Prati Bimbadvad, are supported neither by logic or scripture. Are we to see those statements of Paricheta and Pratibimba? Jiva goes forward in the next Anucheta to explain how. Sanucheta 42, valid interpretation of Pratibimbavad and Parichetavad. Therefore, scriptural package, passages that appear to support such doctrines as Parichetavad and Pratibimbavad must be understood in a secondary sense. That is, as describing Brahman in terms of its partial correspondence with the ordinary processes of division, paricheta and reflection, pratibimba. Now the commentary here will put this in perspective for us. So as I said, the, the Advaitins, they accept the same Vedas that we do. It's what they they accept them as their scriptural authority, but they only accept it according to what? The interpretation of Sankaracharya. 
they take that as the proper understanding of the scriptural statements. So what Jiva says is when we look at scriptural statements and we look to words themselves, we should see that words have primary meanings. Those are called mukhyavritti, and they have secondary meanings, ganivritti. So let's take a simple word like a cow. Okay, what is the primary meaning of a cow? What are the characteristics that we can attribute when we hear the word cow, we think four legs, tail, utter, dewlap, utter giving milk, two eyes, huh? They eat grass. Yeah. Certain characteristics are there, so we immediately when we hear the word cow, these are the things that we can have that vision and we see, oh, it has four legs, it has a tail, I've seen one, I've gone near it, I smell one, you know, I've tasted the milk that it gives. So that's the primary meaning of the word. But there's also sometimes secondary meanings. So as an example, what's given is in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna addresses Arjuna as a tagger among men. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean that Arjuna is a tiger? That he has claws? That he runs real fast on the ground? That he runs on four legs? That he rips people apart with his teeth? No. That's primary meaning cannot be applied to that scriptural statement that Arjuna is a tagger among men. So we have to take the natural secondary meaning. That secondary meaning mean he's very courageous and he is he has prowess in, in the battlefield. So in a similar way when we hear in the Veda certain statements that would seem to support the concept of radical non-dualism wherein the jiva can be seen in the same light as the supreme we have to interpret them in such a way that that meaning supports the overall message of the veda itself and in most of those instances then the secondary meaning has more significance in the context of the whole literature we have to interpret those statements in a way that's consistent with the overall Veda. Then there is, in this particular commentary, a rather elaborate analysis of the Vedanta Sutra. And I'm not going to go in depth into that analysis, because in doing so, we would have to enter into the whole way that the Vedanta Sutra is presented and I think we can get the meaning that Jeeva is trying to relay without going into that detailed study because that would take a couple classes. So that we could fully comprehend the way the Vedanta Sutra is presented. And remember, what is the significance of Vedanta Sutra? It provides us with a way to understand the Veda properly. So we understand the Veda through the Vedanta Sutra we understand the Vedanta Sutra through what? Through the commentaries of spiritual 
saints and sages who have developed a specific approach to spirituality based on the Veda, their interpretation of the Veda. So they provide us with a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra to support that understanding. So those commentaries actually create sampradayas. If you have a spiritual, an ideal regarding spirituality, then you will have to, in order to validate that ideal and that idea, give a commentary in support of your conclusions on the Vedanta Sutra. The Vaishnavas are not so much interested in a valid commentary. They're happy to accept the Srimad Bhagavatam as the valid commentary. But still, they even had to provide one just to keep the naysayers at bay. So they uh, requested Baladev Vidyabhushan, he requested the deity, and we have the Govindabhashya commentary on Vedanta Sutra. There's a certain way that these spiritual conclusions are presented in the Vedanta Sutra. And then the truth, the Siddhanta, the understanding is brought out. And there's differences, even on our own line of disciplic succession. So we're the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. Madhvacharya, there's certain understandings there that we, as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, although he's in our line and his commentaries was valid when presented at that time and accepted, still there were certain things that he put forward that we don't accept now. Does that completely invalidate his whole presentation? No. It shows that there was more to be known and later commentators, and specifically Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, brought out more essence from the Veda to be presented to, to humanity. Like Madhvacharya, they, they actually have the conception, the Madhvas. There are certain jivas who are in the mode of ignorance, certain jivas that are in the mode of sattva-gun, sattva. That's a predetermined. Not all jivas are equal, according to the madhvas. Constitutionally. Constitutionally, correct. They have an inherent quality of ignorance or passion or goodness, and only the goodness ones can attain liberation. Now, this is not our, not our siddhanta, but we are... Madhva, Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya. So there's an evolution of this thought. And his commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, although we accept much of it, there's certain things we don't accept. And even we see these, this happening even today in modern day Gaudiya Vaishnavism. These fine points, and some of them not so fine points, of philosophy are argued upon based on, well, my spiritual master said that, and Bhakti Siddhanta said this, and in, in the Jiva Dharma, this was, this was presented by uh, Bhakti Vinod Thakur in this way, so we must have some inherent position. And, but when you look at it, for us, we always have to go back to reconciling all these different philosophical points so that we have a proper understanding of the Siddhanta and the various tattvas that comprise that Siddhanta, we go back 
to the core presentation of the Goswamis as they codified what Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave to humanity. So I, our ideal is specifically, our ideal, our Sambandha, our Abhideya, and our Prayojan, all three together are specifically tied into the presentation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the gift that he had to give to humanity. In finishing up this particular Anucheda, dealing with these words Pratibhimba and Paricheda, whenever we come across those in the Vedas, whenever they're presented, this, these ideals, we do not accept Sankaracharya's approach that we've already completely reviewed here. We have to analyze the Brahma Sutras, the, the Vedas, the Puranas, stating that there's non-difference between God and the living entity. They have to be taken in their secondary sense. Srila Vyasadeva's revelation, his samadhi, is the nucleus around the, which the Bhagavatam rotates. That's the topmost praman. That's what, if there's ever a question, go back to how does it relate to the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva, and you will arrive at the right conclusion. What were those conclusions? There is the Supreme Lord, he has specific potencies, and he is what? He is in control of the external potency. There is the jiva, and the jiva is also conscious, but he is controlled by the external potency. And there is a way that the jiva can be relieved of the control of that external potency by a method. And that method is full turning of consciousness, physical, emotional, mental, every, in every way, a full turning of our consciousness to that supreme personality. So Anucheta 43 valid interpretation of non-distinction as inconceivable oneness and distinction. The Anucheta reads as follows. Therefore, scriptural statements referring to the jivas as non-different from Brahman should be consistently reconciled so as to concur with the, with the conclusions Vyas came to in the state of Savadhi. This is accomplished by first removing the apparent contradiction in the jiva being both different and non-different from Brahman. This is first accomplished by removing the apparent contradiction in the jivas being both different and non-different from Brahman. We should understand from the statements teaching non-difference that the jivas are one with Brahman in that both are pure consciousness. So where we see in the Veda where we see this terminology of uh, Pratibhimba and Paricheda, that the, that the living entity, that is the Jivatma, is the air in the pot, and if the pot, the pot metaphorically referring to 
the gross and subtle coverings of the jiva within the material realm, the pot is broken, then the consciousness merges with Brahman. No, we just take it in the as an explanation of the fact that the jivatma is of the same conscious characteristic as the supreme Brahman. They're both conscious. That is what is to be taken from those kind of statements. And of course the reflection statements, the same thing. The Pratibhimba. When we understand from the statements teaching non-difference that the jiva are one with Brahman, in that both are pure consciousness, chidrupa, yet by Brahman's inherent inconceivable potency, which renders possible even the otherwise impossible, the jivas are also innately distinct from Brahman in terms of their being his parts, like the infinitesimal rays of the sunlight. So this is the way to understand oneness and distinction. The terminology that we use, which is coming from Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu, is a chinta beta beta tattva. Beta a beta tattva. Both the supreme and the living entity are conscious. This is the non-distinction that the Vedas refer to. That's the extent of it. We're both conscious. Now the Supreme is beyond our apprehension. We have consciousness, but we can only conceive of, with our consciousness, what it must be like for that consciousness. What must his consciousness be like? He has awareness. We have awareness. Our awareness is kind of limited. We're aware of this body. We're aware of the emotions that we have. We're aware of what we can immediately perceive in the environment around us. That consciousness is pretty amazing. What we're, what the consciousness that we have available to us is rather unique. I mean, we can go pretty far if we can, un, especially if we can pull our consciousness out of the mud of material existence just a little bit we can start to see a lot of the light of day. If we could pull our, our heads out of ignorance and passion and somehow cast off some of the lower modes of material nature, of ignorance and passion, our prospects really start to grow exponentially just by that simple process. And we can see, I mean, amazing things. Look at some of these people and sattva the intellectuals and the, the composers and just amazing things they accomplish with their consciousness and then Einstein and, and uh, you know the scientists doing so much what must the consciousness of the supreme be like to even perceive that but that's our avenue of entrance into some kind of understanding is we're consciousness, we're conscious, and that entity also is conscious. Gives us an idea, but we're not absolutely one in all respects. 
just like we take the statement, and again, Jeeva's trying to get the point across in his commentary. He was a tiger in battle. Well, that doesn't mean he was a tiger in every way. You could say the Jiva is conscious, but he's not conscious in every way that the Supreme is conscious. Also, of those consciousnesses, one is the energetic source, and one is the energy. They're both conscious, but one is the source of the other's consciousness. Then you have the analogy of the sun and its rays. So throughout the commentary, Jiva is trying to give here again and again, reinforcing there's, there's a proper way to understand this. And we've already gone through all the improper ways. The Advaita Vod, we've gone over it. You can't look at it this way, that way, or this way. How do you look at it? Here's some entrance. There's like the sun and the rays. We have the essence, the essential nature of consciousness is the nature of the sameness between the Supreme and the Jiva. And the difference is quantitative. There's a big difference in quantity. And there's a big difference in the energy. Our consciousness allows us a particular amount of energy. When you think about it in yogic terms, the terms of yoga, the practice of even pranayama or, or uh, a stanga, they call it's a full, full package of yoga. The potency of that little jiva, that little bit of consciousness, is really quite amazing. Put it in the terms of the Bhagavatam, look at how much one jivatma was able to accomplish through his austerities. One little Haranyakasipu. We look at him and we say, well, he was a wasp. He would have been a wasp to the Supreme, but he was, he was one bit a big hindrance to the residents of this material world. He controlled the whole place. It was under his one little jivatma. Or the universe itself coming from Brahma. One little jiva in here producing all these different varieties of, of bodies for the living entity. So there's a lot of potential there. But it's nowhere when compared to Bhagavan's consciousness, Bhagavan's intelligence. I mean, even Brahma, he thought, I have something to bring to the table. Here's Krishna playing with his friends. He's having such a good time. Let me enter into these pastimes and show him my mystic opulence. The mystic opulence, he turns around a moment later and realizes he didn't do any, he didn't accomplish anything. Wait a minute. Are they there or are they here? What's going on? I don't, I'm... I'm bewildered. Yeah, you try to use your limited potency and let me show you really what true bewilderment is like. Or even Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva missed the party. Mahini Morty. I'm an aesthetic. It wouldn't. Even, a fe even you in a female form, I, they said it was amazing, but how amazing was it? 
do you really want to know? He lost complete control. The greatest aesthetic had no control. Now, one thing that Jiva Goswami brings out here, he says in the commentary, we should not confuse Bhagavan's inconceivability, we cannot really conceive of all this, with the Advaitavad's inexplicable statements ascribed to Maya is neither what? Sat or Asat. You can't really pin Maya to either being there or not. Krishna defeats the argument in Bhagavad Gita. It's either Sat or Asat. There's not any in between. But one of the arguments that the Advaitins use is Maya falls into this this area of in-betweenness. Yeah, well, yeah. It's into a tatasta maya. It doesn't fall into this or that category. It's not true or untrue because it's illusory. That doesn't correspond with the Vedic conclusion. So Jiva's giving a warning here. He's saying, don't confuse the inconceivability of Brahman, of Bhagavan, with that kind of inconceivability that the Advaitvads apply to Maya, Sat or Asat. No, we should not make that mistake. Because what we can find through transcendental sound vibrations, sub to Brahman, that all the the quality, not all, as much as we can even begin to perceive is addressed through transcendental sound vibration, Subda Brahman. So we have an explanation of what is the Supreme and what are his various potencies. It's given to us there. Despite the fact that it's given there, it's also presented as being inconceivable. It can be perceived in proper association when heard coming from those that are realized. We can understand these secrets of the Upanishads. The Supreme Lord walks and he does not walk. He is far away but he is very near as well. He is within everything and yet he is outside of everything the verse of contradictions but that doesn't mean it can't be understood so even the Vedas they can give us a glimpse even to that which is not comprehensible by standard logic he walks and he doesn't walk if he wants to walk he can walk amongst us but he doesn't walk the way we walk there's no need for him to walk anywhere when he does walk, he can walk across the universe in three steps. He could cover quite a distance. So again, the main point is to understand any of these statements that the radical non-dualists use, that they pull from the Vedas in their selective manner. Do not be bewildered by the way they do it. He brings up one final point, and I'll close with this. There is a specific type of logic, half-hen, 
What's the half-head logic? Half-hen. What's a half-hen logic? Farmer had a hen. The produce of the hen is coming out of one side. The other side I have to feed. I'll cut it in half and just keep the back side. That's productive. You cannot look at Scripture and pick and choose. You have to see everything in context of the complete message being presented. So I'll close with that. So are there any questions? It's about the nature of Mukhivriti and Gaunavriti. The examples seem to suggest that Mukhivriti is literal meaning and Gaunavriti is figurative meaning mm-hmm. because the examples are both uh, metaphors. Is that always generally, usually ABC the case? That's what's brought out in the commentary here is generally the distinction, uh, a literal understanding or a figurative understanding, with the figurative understanding being the uh, Gonavritti. Do you use, do you always go to the Gonavritti or do you um, only um, reject the Mukhivritti if it doesn't? make sense or if it's not in accord with the Vedas and how do you know that? And Jiva Goswami he posits that the revelation of Vyasadeva is the hub around which you make that determination. So when you hear statements that cannot be reconciled with the position of the Supreme, Bhagavan, as perceived by Vyasadeva in trance and the position of the Jiva within the Lord's external potency and the remedy to that entanglement with the external potency being a complete turning of consciousness to the Supreme. When you hear things in the Vedas that, that you do not reconcile, then then you need to reevaluate them with that in mind and you may want to look at those particular passages or words in their secondary meeting so it? so then mahaprabhu's admonition not to hear sharira bhashya in a sense really is an admonition to hear Srimad bhagavatam instead Mahaprabhu says that we should never hear Shredder Bahasha. So Sankara's commentary on yeah, the Vedanta so Sutra. Really saying, what he's really saying is that um, if you want to understand Vedanta, then you need to hear Srimad Bhagavatam. Because Srimad yes, Bhasha yes. is just gobbledygook. It's nonsense. It's a wrong interpretation of the Vedic conclusions. It's a view of the Vedanta Sutra which does not reconcile with the revelation presented in the Bhagavatam. Absolutely correct. You're absolutely okay. correct. So now if the plain meaning, the Mukhivriti, seems in accord with Vasudev's revelation, mm-hmm. then we can accept that. Yes. Okay. What's happening right here is... No, no, he's talking about the Pratitimba. He pulled us right into this this Mayavad understanding and then he chopped it up 
Which explains Sumati's celebration that we're done with that. Yes. Yes. We're moving forward. Now it's Bhagavan all the way from here on out. Bhagavat Sandarbha, Paramatma Sandarbha, Krishna Sandarbha. So we're going to get up to Krishna and then then we have the Bhakti Sandarbha. How do you act it? And then what is the goal? So yeah, it's... Uh, but what we come away with, we will find, you will see as we go forward how Jiva teaches us what lessons to pull out of the Bhagavatam. And it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm reading ahead a little bit in the Bhagavad Sandarbha, and it's like, it's you know, you, you look at Daksha's prayers, and you just, and, and there's a whole depth of, of theology there, of Gaudiya theology there, just in these, these prayers. And this is what Jiva does so expertly. It goes and, and he pulls these things out. And he explains and lets us see, yeah, this is what's being said there. And it's like, wow, I thought it was just a story about a guy who got the head of a goat. Not at all. <laughs> there's a goat's head in there, but hey, there's, there's a lot of knowledge coming from that goat's head. You know? Cool, Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. Thank you.